Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for July, August and September 2013, titled Revival and Reformation. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 1 for June 29 to July 5, Revival, Our Great Need. Before we begin this series of lessons, there is an introduction in the pamphlet titled Revival and Reformation. It's written by the author Mark Finlay. In every generation, God's Spirit strives to bring revival to the hearts of His people. Revival is an ongoing, daily experience. Each of us should identify with an old hymn that says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. From Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing by Robert Robinson. Deeply within, we know these words are true. Our hearts are indeed prone to wander. Our minds drift from the eternal to the mundane. Our thoughts turn so easily from the heavenly to the earthly. Too often, we seem to be in bondage to deeply entrenched habits. At times, our own attitudes and reactions baffle us. And that's because our natures have fallen as the result of sin. Our natural tendency is to turn from God's way to our own. With the Apostle Paul we cry out, O wretched man that I am! And with David we plead, Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. Revival is all about a God of loving kindness seeking to deepen His relationship with us. The initiative in revival is His. His Spirit creates longings within us. His Spirit convicts us of our needs. His Spirit reveals Jesus' goodness and grace. Throughout history, God's Spirit has moved mightily in revival. When Israel drifted from God's plan and purposes, God used the young king Josiah to lead the nation back to him, and a mighty revival followed. At the dedication of the temple, God said to Solomon, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land." God's heart longing was for Israel to meet the conditions of revival, experience the power of revival, and reveal the light of His love to the entire world. When God's people responded to His appeals for revival, He worked mightily in their behalf. This was true for the New Testament Christian Church, the Reformation, and the Advent Movement. It will also be true for God's end-time people. His Holy Spirit will be poured out in its fullness, and the earth will be illuminated with His glory. This quarter's lessons focus on the varied aspects of revival and reformation. Together, we will probe such questions as, What are the conditions that God has given for the outpouring of His Spirit? Is God waiting for some magical moment to pour out His Spirit on His last day church? What does it mean to live a Spirit-filled life? Is there anything we can do to cooperate with God in order to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit now? Where does revival and reformation begin? Ellen G. White described the importance of revival in these words. In Selected Messages, Book 1, page 121, A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. Heaven places priority on revival. 
What could be more important? This quarter, as we study such topics as prayer and revival, the word and revival, witnessing and revival, a finished work and revival, and other related subjects, let us pray that God will powerfully speak to our hearts and draw us closer to Him. Why not open your heart to the moving of His Holy Spirit right now? Why not ask Him to do something extra special in your life today? He will answer your prayers, and heavenly blessings will flow in ways that you have not yet imagined. Our writer Mark Finley is a native of Connecticut, USA, an internationally known evangelist. He was a vice president of the General Conference from 2005 to 2010. After retiring from full-time employment, he became an assistant to the president of the General Conference to work part-time with the Revival and Reformation Initiative. Pastor Finley and his wife, Ernestine, have three children and two grandchildren. Sabbath afternoon, June 29. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we once again bow our heads and close our eyes and contemplate your greatness and your goodness. And as we open your word, as we come before you this week in studying your word, we pray that our hearts may be opened, that our minds may be clear, and that your Holy Spirit will guide us, each one, in Jesus' name. Amen. Revival, Our Greatest Need. Sabbath afternoon, our memory text is Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and be with him. Let's read that again, Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. Laodicea is the last church in Revelation's sequence of seven churches. The name means a people judged. It is also a fitting symbol for God's last day people. Laodicea was located in an open valley in southwestern Turkey. It was an important financial capital, a fashion mecca, and an educational and medical center. Its inhabitants were independent, self-confident, and rich. The one vital natural resource that the city lacked, however, was water. The water was piped in via Roman aqueducts from a spring that was five miles south of the city. By the time the water reached Laodicea, it was lukewarm. Jesus uses that symbolism to represent the lukewarm condition of his last-day church, described as self-confident, complacent, apathetic, and spiritually indifferent. It is a church that has lost its passion. It is a church that needs a spiritual revival. Nevertheless, the Laodicean message is filled with hope. Christ speaks to his people in love, offering to meet their heart needs and revive their deepest spiritual longings.
Sunday, June 30. Hope for lukewarm Laodiceans. Jesus addresses each of the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 with a title of himself that is appropriate for their spiritual condition. The titles he uses in his message to the church of Laodicea ring with the assurance of spiritual renewal for all those who will heed his call. Question. Read the following passages, Revelation 3.14 and 15, 2 Corinthians 1.20, John 3.10 and 11, and Colossians 1.13-17. What do you think that Jesus uses the titles, the Amen, the Faithful and True Witness, and the Beginning of the Creation of God, to address the Laodicean Church? Well, first of all, let's begin with Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. And also in Second Corinthians chapter 2 and, or chapter 1 and verse 20. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen, to the glory of God through us. And John chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. And Colossians chapter 1 and verses 13 to 17. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. In Revelation chapter 3 verse 14, the Greek word for beginning is archa, A-R-C-H-E. It can mean beginning, in the sense that the one to whom it refers is the beginner of an event or action. In this context, Archer refers to Jesus as the beginner, or the first cause of all creation. In other words, he is the creator. And we read about that in John chapter 1 and verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And also in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. This is extremely significant. Jesus, the one who spoke and worlds came into being, the one who created the earth, the one who spoke life into existence, this same Jesus speaks hope to Laodicea. The all-powerful creator can create new life. 
He can recreate new spiritual longings in our hearts. He can transform our spiritual lives. Question. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and Galatians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. What do these texts mean to you? Beginning with 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And Galatians chapter 6 and verses 14 and 15 But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but a new creation. So to finish today, why is the Laodicean message a message of hope? What is it about the introduction to this message of strong rebuke that encourages you? Which of the three titles of Jesus do you identify with the most, and why? Monday, July 1. A Loving Rebuke. Question. Read Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Why does Jesus give the Laodicean church such a strong rebuke? What does it mean to be lukewarm? What other words might Jesus have used in place of lukewarm? Revelation 3.15 I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Commenting on Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Ellen G. White states, The message to the Laodicean church applies most decidedly to those whose religious experience is insipid, who do not bear decided witness in favour of the truth. And that comes from the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 962. This is a fascinating statement. An insipid religious experience is one that is lifeless. It has the outer husk of Christianity, but lacks the substance. It has the external form, but lacks the living power. The Laodiceans are not heretics or fiery fanatics. They are simply spiritually indifferent. The Laodiceans appear to be good moral people. They have what Paul calls a form of godliness, but denying its power in 2 Timothy 3.5. Jesus speaks of religious people in his day who draw near to him with their mouth and honour him with their lips, but their heart is far from him. Matthew 15, verse 8. Question. Read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 to 11, and Job 5, 17 to 19, Psalm 94, verse 12, and Proverbs 29, 15 to 17, and describe God's purpose in his rebukes. Well, first of all, we'll look at Hebrews 12, verses 7 to 11. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, or 
of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And Job chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore do not despise the chastening of the Almighty, for he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. He shall deliver you in six troubles, yes, in seven. No evil shall touch you. And in Psalm 94, in verse 12, we read, Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law. And Proverbs chapter 29 and verses 15 and 17. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Correct your son, and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give you delight to your soul. Our Lord loves his people too much to let them go easily to perdition. He will do whatever it takes to rekindle a spiritual flame in their hearts. His strong rebuke is because of a stronger love. His chastisement is only because of his longing to heal us. The prophet Hosea echoes this sentiment with this call to repentance. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. Hosea 6 verse 1 To finish the day, has God ever used painful, even embarrassing experiences to humble you and draw you closer to him? What did you learn from these experiences that ideally ensures you won't have to go through them again? Tuesday, July 2, Perception and Reality There is a gap between what Laodicea says and does. There is an even greater gap between the spiritual experience that Laodicea thinks she has and what she actually does have. Question. Read Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. What is Laodicea's evaluation of herself? What is our Lord's assessment of her? How do you think a people could be so blinded to their true spiritual condition? In what ways might we be blind regarding our own spiritual condition? Beginning in verse 17, Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. One of Satan's fatal deceptions is to blind us to the reality of our spiritual needs. Some of the religious leaders of Jesus' day were blind to their own spiritual poverty. They were Bible-reading, Sabbath-keeping, tithe-paying church members looking for the coming of the Messiah. 
yet many were in darkness regarding the type of spiritual kingdom that he would usher in. Jesus called them in Matthew twenty-three twenty-four, blind guides. Paul writes to the church at Corinth about those whose minds the God of this age has blinded in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. This is why Jesus said that he had come for the recovery of sight to the blind, Luke 4 verse 18. Jesus will restore the spiritual eyesight that we have lost if we allow him. Every time that Jesus opened blind eyes in the New Testament, he was revealing his desire to open the eyes of our minds in order to enable us to see him clearly. Question. Read Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. What are the similarities between the foolish virgins and the members of the church at Laodicea? Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And... While they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. To finish the day, What ways have you found to keep spiritually alert? Why do you think it is so easy to become spiritually indifferent? What are some ways to counteract religious apathy? Wednesday, July 3, The Divine Remedy There is hope for Laodicea, just as there is hope for all who are afflicted with spiritual apathy and indifference. Our Lord has the divine remedy. The fact that the Lord speaks to his church shows that hope for the church exists if his people accept and follow his counsel. Question. Reflect on Jesus' counsel in Revelation three eighteen and 19. What does Jesus mean when he talks about gold refined in the fire, being clothed in white garments, and our eyes being anointed with eye salve? We'll also look at 1 Peter 1, 7, Zechariah 3, 1 to 5, Revelation 19, 7 to 9, and Ephesians four thirty. But first of all, Revelation chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. 
I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. Let's also have a look at First Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. And that reads, That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Zechariah chapter 3 and verses 1 to 5. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. And our next text is Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And Revelation Chapter 19, verses 7 to 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. From the Advent Review and Sabbath Herald of August 7, 1894, Ellen G. White writes, Jesus is going from door to door, standing in front of every soul temple, proclaiming, I stand at the door and knock. As a heavenly merchantman, he opens his treasures and cries, Buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. The gold he offers is without alloy, more precious than that of Ophir, for it is faith and love. The white raiment he invites the soul to wear is his own robes of righteousness, and the oil for anointing is the oil of his grace, which will give spiritual eyesight to the soul in blindness and darkness, that he may distinguish between the workings of the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the enemy. Open your doors, says the great merchant, the possessor of spiritual wretches, and transact your business with me. It is I, your Redeemer, who counsels you to buy of me. To finish today, Ellen G. White quotes Revelation 3.20, saying of Jesus, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus knocks, 
He doesn't break down the door and force his way in. What this means is that, in the end, regardless of what God is willing to do for us, we must make the choice to let him in. Ask yourself, how resistant am I to opening the door to him? If you are resistant, ask yourself, why? What is holding you back? What sin, what indulgence don't you want to let go of? Or what is it that you find so hard to let go of? Thursday, July 4, A Relentless Love Question. Compare Revelation 3.20 to Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verses 2 to 5. What similarities do you find in both instances? What do these passages reveal about God's love? First of all, Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verses 2 to 5. I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, Open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh, on the handles of the lock. And we'll compare that with Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. And that reads, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. The evening meal in the Middle East, was and still is extremely important. When the work of the day was over and the men returned from the fields for the evening meal, the entire family gathered around the table. In most instances, the extended family lived together. The number at the evening meal often would be quite large. Grandfather and grandmother, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, nephews and nieces and cousins, adults and children might be present. In this grand reunion, after a hard day's work, stories were told, experiences shared, and counsel given. It was a time of fellowship. It was a time of warmth and family intimacy. Jesus longs to have fellowship like this with us as well. Question. How does Christ's promise in Revelation 3.21 reveal his heartfelt desire for each one of us? To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. The book of Revelation mentions God's throne more than 40 times. This is more than in any other book of the Bible. At God's throne, we join in with the heavenly chorus and joyously proclaim, as is written in Revelation 5.12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. He promises that we can participate in this grand festive scene of rejoicing once the long saga of sin ends. 
Christ uses his greatest motivation for his indifferent end-time people. The greatest motivation to wake us from spiritual slumber is Jesus' endless love, for he longs to spend all eternity with us. If that is not enough to shake us out of our spiritual apathy, what is? If that is not enough to bring us to our knees, seeking revival, what will? His love has provided eternity for us. We have royal blood running through our veins. We are sons and daughters of the King of the universe. We can reign with him, seated upon his throne forever. So to finish the day, Christ longs to be in fellowship with you. How much do you want to be in fellowship with him? The answer is simple. How much time do you spend in prayer and fellowship with the Lord? What does your answer tell you about yourself and perhaps just how lukewarm you might be. Friday, July 5. From the Advent Review and Sabbath Herald of February 25, 1902, we read, A revival and a reformation must take place under the ministration of the Holy Spirit. Revival and reformation are two different things. Revival signifies a renewal of spiritual life, a quickening of the powers of mind and heart, a resurrection from the spiritual death. Reformation signifies a reorganization, a change in ideas and theories, habits and practices. Reformation will not bring forth the good fruit of righteousness unless it is connected with the revival of the Spirit. Revival and Reformation are to do their appointed work, and in doing this work, they must blend. And from the July 24 edition in 1888, The counsel of the true witness is full of encouragement and comfort. The churches may yet obtain the gold of truth, faith and love, and be rich in heavenly treasure. Buy of me gold that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that thy shame or the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. The white raiment is the righteousness of Christ that may be wrought into the character. Purity of heart, purity of motive, will characterize every one who is washing his robe and making it white in the blood of the Lamb. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. What is so dangerous about being lukewarm? Why can it lead us so easily to spiritual self-deception? 2. Why do some Christians seem so radiant and others so indifferent? Is it a matter of different personality types, or is there something deeper? If so, what? 3. Discuss with your class ways in which to avoid becoming spiritually indifferent. How can we keep our spiritual experience vibrant and growing? What are things that we can do as a church body, as a whole, to protect ourselves from becoming lukewarm? 4. Why do you think God would rather have us be cold than lukewarm? Why isn't being lukewarm better than being flat-out cold? There's a hint here. What's more comfortable, being lukewarm or being cold? 
And that brings us to Inside Story, our mission story for this week. It's titled, Ibrahim's Question. Ibrahim 9 lives in the country of Azerbaijan. Most people in Azerbaijan are religious, but they are not Christians. Ibrahim loves going with his mother to do missionary work. Often they take a minibus to a village near their home. Ibrahim likes to sit near the driver so that they can talk. One day the driver asked Ibrahim some questions. How many eyes do two birds have? Four, Ibrahim said. Now I have a question for you. How many days did it take God to create the earth? The driver didn't know. It took six days, Ibrahim said. If you want to know more about what God does, you should buy a book from my mother. It's called Only Allah Gives Us Peace. Some people on the bus heard Ibrahim talking to the driver. One of them asked Ibrahim's mother about the book Ibrahim had mentioned. She told them that the book is about people who are faithful to Allah or God. How can we get the book? a man asked. Ibrahim's mother usually sold the book to help pay their bus fare, but she let Ibrahim give a copy to each of the people on the bus for free. Ibrahim walked down the aisle giving one to each person. The people smiled and said, Sargol, or thank you. As Ibrahim and his mother got off the bus, he noticed several passengers reading the book he'd given them. We've just arrived at the village, and already we've shared God's word with many people, he realized. At school, every student takes part in a religion class. One day, Ibrahim's teacher read the story of Noah. Then she quizzed the students about the story. What did God tell Noah to do? she asked. Ibrahim raised his hand. God told Noah to build a boat, he answered. Yes, the teacher said. And how long did it take to build the boat? It took Noah 120 years to build the boat and warn the people about the flood. Ibrahim answered confidently. But no one chose to enter the boat except Noah and his family, eight people. So God sent the animals into the boat and closed the door. Then the flood came. How do you know so much about this story? the teacher asked Ibrahim. My mother and I read the sacred writings together, Ibrahim said. Ibrahim and his mother share God's message of love in a land where Jesus isn't worshipped as God. Our mission offerings help believers in different countries to share God's message of hope with people who haven't heard before. Thank you for giving so that others can hear God's message of love. This week's reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Your reader has been Dr. Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful.